What do the first indoor shopping mall in the United States, Pai Alamode, Chungking Can Chinese Food, Totino's Pizza Rolls, the first ever electric elevator, a gas station designed by great American architect Frank Lloyd Wright, and the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald all have in common. They all have ties to the western end of Lake Superior and Minnesota's second largest metropolitan statistical area, the Twin Ports, the Zenith City, and the five-time NCAA Division I women's ice hockey champion UMD Bulldogs, Duluth, Minnesota, and we're headed that way. This is episode number eight. Welcome to the Brews Traveler, exploring the craft beer scene across North America, one craft brewery at a time. And now here's your host, the man who gets more MPP, that's miles per pint, than anybody, Alan Tatman. Thank you, Jessica, and hello, everybody, and thank you for discovering us out here in the podcasting universe. I'm Alan Tatman, the chief cat herder for the team Brews Traveler, and I'll be your host for the next 50 minutes or so. Today, we're headed up north to the second largest northernmost metropolitan area in the lower 48 United States. I'll bet you didn't know that. Just behind Seattle, Duluth, Minnesota, where we had a chance to sit down with Brian Thomas, one of the founders, head brewer, and CEO of Bent Paddle Brewing Company. These guys have got a great story. Two couples met at a brewer's conference, all realized they had connections to Duluth, and eventually they came together and built a brewery on the shores of Lake Superior. Tom Baker and I were up there just three weeks ago, and we got an interview. Tom took some video and photos, and we got to drink some great beer on a very chilly summer afternoon. This week, I'm coming to you from Jefferson Park in Chicago, Illinois. I'm wrapping up a short six-day road trip through the Midwest. Went to Kansas City, Boulevard Beer, checked out Strange Days Brewing, a new brewery in Kansas City. Uh, Headed up to Omaha, talked to Dave and Max at Infusion Brewing. Then headed over to Exile Brewing in Des Moines, Iowa, where I spoke with R.J. Tercy, the founder and owner of that group. I drove up to Decorah and Toppling Goliath Brewing Company, met with Clark Louie, the owner, and Mike Sabo, the executive brewer, both of whom were kind enough to let me park the RV on their lot and crash there for the night while a wave of thunderstorms rolled over the upper Midwest. And before ending up here in Chicago, I finished off the tour and I had a chance to sit down in New Glarus, Wisconsin and had a fantastic talk with founder of New Glarus Brewing, along with his wife, Deb, Dan Carey, who uh, had a great conversation, 25 years in the business, Wisconsin's oldest and largest independent craft brewer, and it was great talking to him. I'm also hoping to hook up with a couple of breweries here in the Windy City before I head back to Missouri in a couple of days. So look for all of those episodes coming up in the next few weeks. On today's show, however, we're going up to Duluth. We also have a report from freelance journalist Tony Rehagen about the Take Craft Back movement and labeling on independent craft beer packaging. But first, let's head north, take a look at the city that has the longest days in the summer of just about any place in the lower 48, but that also comes with a price. It also has an astonishing number of 106 days where the temperature never rises above freezing. On the shores of the largest freshwater lake in the world, Duluth, Minnesota, let's get on the road. 
And now we head on down the road with the Bruce Traveler. Where will the highway take us this week? Where will we lift a pint and who will we meet? Let's find out. I fell in love with northeastern Minnesota more than 30 years ago when I went up there through the city of Duluth to the Boundary Waters Canoe Area for a week-long camping trip. And I've been back through Duluth, staying there on a number of occasions. I mean, at least a dozen times. It's a really great city. The people there are fantastic. It's got a cool architectural vibe. It's built on the slope of these hills that are coming down to meet the gravel shores of Lake Superior. Kind of gives you almost a San Francisco feel. All the things I mentioned at the opening of this show, they all have connections to Duluth. In 1915, in a building formerly occupied by J.P. Morgan's U.S. Steel Corporation, the first indoor shopping mall, the Lakeview Store, was opened in the Duluth neighborhood of Morgan Park. On its opening day, 10,000 people toured the three-story building with shops located on all three levels. The first floor had a pharmacy and a department store with groceries, a butcher shop, clothing, hardware, furniture, and a general store. The second floor had a bank, a dentist office, barbershop, hair salon, hat shop, billiard room, and auditorium. The basement also had a shoe store and an ice-making plant that made eight tons of ice per day for Duluth businesses and residents. Pie Alamode, that is a pie with a scoop of ice cream on top, is credited to have been invented by Duluth hotelier Jean Gerrier in 1885. Now, there's some controversy when another man in New York was given credit for naming the dish in his New York Times obituary, allegedly having ordered it under that name at the Cambridge Hotel and Delmonico's in New York in the 1890s. An editor of the St. Paul Press read the obituary in 1936, and knowing of the Duluth version of the story, he filed a complaint and demanded a retraction by the Times. But it was not until the St. Paul reporter presented a photograph of the the Duluth Hotel's Bill of Fare, published in the Duluth Daily Tribune in March of 1885, with pie a mode in the dessert section, that the Times relinquished and made a retraction. Very peculiar what people will argue about, isn't it? Luigino Pallucci, the son of Italian immigrants who settled in northern Minnesota, built a business empire in Duluth beginning in the 1940s. Pellucci had grown very fond of Chinese food, but he thought it lacked the proper spicing. So he contracted with a Duluth production and canning facility to make a batch of chow mein with some Italian spices and then took the cans to local grocery stores and sold it under the Chun King name. It was a hit. Pellucci expanded his production and by the 1960s was nationally selling Chung King out of his Duluth-based company. He then sold the company in 1963 for $63 million. Now, if you're of a certain age, like I am, you'll remember Chung King. But you younger folks, you don't know that brand name because it was sold to a rival Chinese food company, La Choy, in 1995. But Pellucci's story doesn't end there. In the 1970s and 80s, with the acceptance of frozen food, Pellucci began manufacturing frozen pizzas to be sold at convenience stores and in the frozen food sections of supermarkets. Then he had another idea. What if you take pizza ingredients and put it in an egg roll wrapper and reheat it in the oven? 
The pizza roll was invented, at first sold alongside the frozen pizzas under the name of Gino's Pizza Rolls, Louis Gino's nickname, but he would sell that company as well in 1985 for $135 million to Pillsbury. And Pillsbury merged Gino's into Totino's line of frozen foods, and the Totino's Pizza Roll has since become a staple food for teenagers, video gamers, and stoners across the country. The first ever electric elevator was invented and patented in Duluth in 1887. There's nothing else to that story that's even remotely interesting. So, moving on. In Cloquette, a town just west of Duluth, a Frank Lloyd Wright-designed gas station was built in the 1950s. Lloyd Wright had designed the gas station in 1927 on commission to be built in Buffalo, New York, but the client didn't care for the design. Almost 30 years later, near the end of his life, Lloyd Wright had designed a home for R.W. Lindholm, a Duluth businessman who was in the petroleum distribution game. Knowing this, Lloyd Wright pitched the gas station design, which Lindholm brought and built. The gas station was opened in 1958, just one year before Lloyd Wright's death. Today, the station is still operational and is owned by Lindholm's grandson. In 1976, Canadian singer-songwriter Gordon Lightfoot wrote and recorded his hit song, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. The song was based on the real-life tragic voyage of the iron ore-hauling freighter of the same name. On November 9th of 1975, the Fitzgerald pulled out of the twin harbors of Duluth and Superior, Wisconsin, with a cargo of over 26,000 tons of iron ore bound for Detroit. By late afternoon the next day, after having sailed nearly the entire length of Lake Superior, the ship was overcome by sustained 60-knot winds with gusts as high as 75 and wave swells of 35 feet and sank about three miles from the mouth of Whitefish Bay, where the ship would have found calmer waters. All 29 crew members of the voyage were lost. On a personal note, that song is Lee's favorite, especially when I'm singing it while we're in a canoe on a two-mile-wide lake with two-foot swells. But that's another story. Anyway, that is a look at some of the unique connections in Duluth. And now it's time to meet Brian Tonis of Bent Paddle Brewing. And this is your interview of the week. Now it's time for the interview of the week, and let's meet our guests. Whether they be a craft brewer or brewing advocate, they're sure to have a story you'll want to hear. And now here's Alan and his guest. Well, greetings from Duluth, Minnesota. I'm here at Bent Paddle Brewing Company, and I'm here with one of the founders and the owner and the uh, CEO of Bent Paddle, Mr. Brian Tonis. Brian, thanks for having us come by the place. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You know, I've been a fan of your beer since I first discovered it about five years ago. I was at Trail Center up on the Gunflint, and the lady there said, uh, we've got a new craft beer. I said, and she said, it's a black ale, and I said, try it, and I'm drinking it right here, right now. This is their black ale, and it's a really good beer. This is a lot of chocolate, a little bit of mocha, uh, dry finish, very satisfying beer. Yep. Yeah. It's it, it's one of my favorites that we make. I, I don't drink it often enough, right. <laughs> unfortunately, but uh, every time I uh, revisit it, it's, uh, it's definitely one of my favorites. Brian and his wife, Karen, and Colin and Laura, they're your partners. Mm-hmm. 
you guys started this brewery back, what year was this? 2013. 2013. And tell us how that came to be. Well, because uh, it's a very, it's really a very interesting story. Yeah, it's, you know, there are a lot of parallels in, uh, in our lives. Uh, we were both, uh, Colin and I were both working at breweries in the Twin Cities. Uh, Colin was uh, the brewer at Barley John's Brew Pub in New Brighton, and I was the head brewer at uh, Rock Bottom Brewery in downtown Minneapolis. And we had kind of come together through work with the Minnesota Craft Brewers Guild. Laura was the coordinator, did uh, festivals. Uh, and kind of did a lot of coordination for the guild at that point in time. And Colin and I were on the board of directors. And so we just started talking about beer philosophy, the history of the brewing industry in Minnesota and the future and uh, what we wanted to do. And, you know, like a lot of people that had been in the industry for quite a while, we always had dreams of opening up our own brewery. And it uh, turned out we both had very similar aspirations for where we wanted to start a brewery and the size of brewery we wanted to start. And as we started talking about it, we realized that we should work together on it and uh, start a brewery in Duluth. The four of you, what's your, what is everybody's connection to Duluth? Uh, Laura grew up here okay. in Duluth. Um, my wife Karen and I met in Duluth back in 1996 at uh, college. So we went to uh, UMD. We dragged Colin along because he married Laura. So, <laughs> but he loves it. <laughs> um, so that, that's, that's kind of the connection. You know, me personally, I went to college here and fell in love with the city of Duluth and you know, went to brewing school, left for numerous jobs uh, around the country in the brewing industry and always wanted to come back here and uh, kind of figured that the best way to come back was to start a brewery here and nice. did it. So, What's your background in brewing? I know you've, you've uh, had a bit of education and a lot of experience before you started yep. Bent Paddle. You know, I started brewing originally, um, well, brewing, <laughs> cleaning kegs, <laughs> I guess, originally. Uh, back at a Twin Ports Brewing Company in Superior, Wisconsin, back in, I believe it was early the year 2000. Uh, started cleaning kegs there, worked my way up to uh, brewing, and I was also bartending there. Uh, did that for about four years when I decided to make the change from going to school for geology to uh, actually making a career out of brewing, and that's when I decided to go to the Siebel Institute of Technology in Chicago through the uh, World Brewing Academy, and went over to Germany, studied for a while after being in Chicago, and uh, went up from there, worked in Portland, Oregon, uh, at uh, Rock Bottom Brewery, and then took over as the uh, head brewer at uh, Rock Bottom in Minneapolis uh, back in, I believe it was 2005. Okay. So, worked there until uh, quitting my job to start this brewery. So the name, Bent Paddle. I, for those of us who come up here and do a little bit of canoeing on the Boundary Waters, yep. we understand what Bent Paddle is, but uh -huh. you guys, you're, the name came because of kind of a unique circumstance. How is that? Yeah, it was. You know, my, uh, my, my wife now, um, time we were we were dating but we uh, uh, would go on a, a pretty good amount of boundary waters trips when we were in, uh, in Minneapolis and we had come back from a boundary waters trip and we were always you know trying to trying to figure out a name for uh, for a brewery you know since it was one of my dreams to open up a brewery and uh, we just stumbled across the name Ben Paddle and uh, it just kind of stuck and we figured it was a, a good name for a brewery that we would start because uh, at Rock Bottom Brewery where I had worked I'd been using a uh, bench half canoe paddle for uh, a couple years in, uh, in stirring in my mash every morning, which came about completely by mistake because I was using an old plastic paddle for uh, mashing in one morning, and the uh, canoe paddle broke. And, you know, halfway through mashing in, you can't really stop. So I kind of scrambled around, tried duct tape, that didn't work, and then I uh, remembered I had my bench half canoe paddle in the trunk of my car, and went out, grabbed it from the parking garage, and uh, used that to finish uh, stirring the mash, and never looked back. It worked so well. <laughs> 
How'd you get the blade out of the mash when it broke? Uh, luckily, it kind of floated a little <laughs> bit, so and it was early on in mashing in, so it uh, you know there had been a lot of mashes that that plastic paddle had uh, had mashed in. So luckily, it floated a little bit. I was able to get it out and uh, and go from there. But yeah, I never turned back, and that's uh, that's kind of where where the name came from. So we're in the employees' lounge here, and it's right next to the offices. This yep. you've got a great loft space here. How long have yeah. you been in this facility? Uh, we've been in this office space for just under two years. I think we moved in there uh, okay. two years ago this coming July. Um, and before that, we were officing over at our main production facility, which is across the street. And so we had, we had a little 600-square-foot um, office space that 11 people were working out of. So it was a little bit of a challenge, <laughs> to say the least. And so did you open the tap room, which is downstairs from here, at the same time that you moved into this no, office? No, we, uh, we actually just opened up our new tap room roughly two and a half months ago. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, it opened in, uh, opened in April. So, what was the space downstairs before you uh, opened it as a tap You know, room? before we got into this building, uh, Kestrel Aircraft uh, ran their uh, R&D facility out of this building, and we were lucky enough to be able to uh, get this building after they were uh, moving on to a different facility. So this office space was completely built out, so we didn't have to really do much to it except work on a couple uh, tech things on it. We did do a pretty substantial build-out downstairs to uh, put the tap room in here, including putting in a uh, seven-barrel pilot system look. Nice. Do a lot of fun things, experiment a little bit, and uh, you know, do some trials on some of the new beers that we want to release, which is the whole reason for having a pilot system. So, how big is the main brewery? Uh, it's a thirty-barrel brew house. Uh, so we have ninety and hundred and twenty-barrel fermenters. Uh, this year, we'll do roughly eighteen thousand barrels out of that facility. How many so. square feet? Uh, the production facility itself is ten thousand square feet. Nice. Uh, we've got another ten thousand square foot. Uh, warehouse about two miles away where we store all of our beer the wholesalers pick up and store most of our cans and uh, malt storage is over there as well. How many employees? Uh, currently we have 45. A little bit different than when we uh, first started with the four of us owners and a sales guy. So <laughs> yeah they always say if you're not uh, if you're not growing you're dying but we're we are slowing down our growth a little bit right now you know we've kind of decided to uh, to bring it back home and kind of kind of concentrate on the markets that we're in. And right work on diversifying things a little bit and really working out of the pilot system. So, Speaking of that, where is your distribution? Uh, we are in the entire state of Minnesota. Uh, we're in five counties currently in North Dakota and roughly 30% of Wisconsin, which encompasses most of northern Wisconsin and a little bit down the western side. Back when you opened up back in 2013, where were you selling to at that point in time? Uh, at that point in time, it was just Duluth. Just so Duluth. We, uh, you know, we were self-distributing. We opened up, opened up our tap room. Uh, started selling kegs to local accounts. Um, you know, Colin and I were doing all the brewing at that point in time. Uh, we had a, a nice long list of volunteers that were helping us can the beer. So I was running the canning line, and everybody else was packing the cans into the pack tech tops. Uh, that changed uh, very quick <laughs> once we realized we couldn't, uh, you know, couldn't sustain on that. So, um, you know, at that point in time, we still continued just to distribute, uh, distribute throughout Duluth, and then uh, signed with the distributor, went up to North Shore. Um, not too long before you found our beer right up at Trail Center, which was really important for us to have our beer up in that uh, that area of the uh, of, of Minnesota because it's one of my favorite places in the world. So, if there's anything that says Boundary Waters, it's yep. bent paddle. Yeah, you know we spend uh, spend a good amount of time up there, and it's it's nice living in Duluth. It's it's so close right uh, to get up to the Boundary Waters. So, but we also spend a decent amount of time uh, down on the Brule river nice. as well so yeah. uh, do a lot of fly fishing down there and colin and laura were actually married on the brule so 
got a lot of, a lot of paddling connections in uh, in with this, so Gun Paddle was a perfect name. You know, it's funny when I bring people up from Missouri and yeah. they see a bent paddle for the first time, and they like, think, "What is this?" They think, <laughs> "Yeah, they think, well, you want the paddle that you want to use it like a scoop." Yep, exactly. you know, that's what they yep. think. And then I was like, "No, no, no! It's about resistance. It's about mm-hmm. it's about least resistance, getting the most." for your paddle with the least resistance. Yep, and 100%, and keeping that blade in the water as long as you can to get as much power as right, you can. Right, exactly. Yep, definitely. How many barrels are you producing annually at this uh, point? We're roughly going to be producing about 18,000 this year. We produced uh, just under 17,000 last year. So you went, you moved from being a micro into a regional brewery. Yep. Well, congratulations. That's a big milestone. When did that hey. occur? <laughs> when did that occur? Um, that happened, uh, about a year and a half, two years, about two years ago. Okay. I think something like that. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, basically demand within Minnesota and, uh, Northwest Wisconsin is what's driving, what's driving that growth. You know, Minnesota's a thirsty state and, uh, we also have a large amount of tourists that come up here and we kind of like to say that we want to export Duluth, um, you know, to the rest of the country specifically, but, you know, especially Minnesota, we have a lot of, a lot of tourists that come here during the summer. I think there are 3.2 million tourists that come here per year and if they come to Duluth experience our beer have a great time with it uh, and then go someplace else and they see our beer on the shelves we want them to kind of relive their experience from Duluth through drinking our beer so it's, uh, it's worked up to this point so your portfolio mm-hmm. now you have some flagships which and like I said the Black Ale is one of my favorites I just had your ESB for the first time and yeah. I really like that that's a nice drinking beer thank you but Tell us about your portfolio here, and maybe what kind of directions are you going into? You know, historically, I think you know our biggest thing is we want to make a beer for everybody. So you know, we want we want beers to first of all be um, you know approachable yet full flavored, which is what we try to do with a lot of our flagships. Um, you know, our bent top, you know, is a pretty pretty robust IPA when it comes to hop flavor and aroma, but it's not overly bitter. Um, you know, a lot of our other beers are, uh, are pretty easy drinking, but then with a lot of our specialty beers, um, you know, we, we, we tend to try to try to push the envelope a little bit and, uh, you know, kind of get, get those beer gigs in there and really, uh, really enjoy that. You've got to, you know, try to make everybody a little bit happy when you, when you get to a certain size and we decide to start off that way. So we tend to make beer that we like to drink. The thing that I like about your portfolio is that you've got the standard tried and trues, which, mm-hmm. you know, but you also, you've got... You've got some things that are going on that are a little bit off of the off of the main spectrum. Yep. Um, tell us about one of your newest projects and how that's going along. Well, with the uh, you know with the firing up of our new pilot system, we've been uh, experimenting uh, quite a bit with uh, first of all infusions. Um, so we have a we have a beer out right now, which we actually did trials on over at the main brewery last year. But it's uh, it's called Tea Break Blonde, and it's uh, our uh, Belgian Blonde Ale, uh, which is. Uh, Paddle Break Blonde infused with green tea and lemon zest. Uh, that one's that one's gone over really well so far this summer. Uh, it's got a little bit of caffeine in there to keep you going during mm-hmm. the day, which is uh, really nice. Uh, we've got another beer coming out called Citrus Party here before too long. It's coming out just before the fourth, uh, which is our canoe uh, session pale ale infused with uh, citrus zest. So it's uh, like four different types of citrus zest that we're infusing it with. Mm-hmm. So you know we kind of started playing around with infusions last year. Uh, with the new pilot system, uh, we're rotating through a lot of different IPAs. We're trying out some hazy IPAs, which I, I told myself I would never do. But we're, uh, we're, we're starting to play around in that style uh, since people like it so much. And we've actually kind of grown to like a, a few of those. Uh, but we're also experimenting with uh, some sour beers 
as well. So we've had a, a couple different Berliner Weisses that are on, and uh, we're also going to be playing around with a couple barrel-aged sours and uh, this and that. So now that we have a facility that's separated from our main production facility, we can uh, start playing around with some bugs and uh, start having a little bit of fun uh, when it comes to that. So we're excited about that. It's a good position to be in. It is. It's. Uh, I was always, uh, you know, really apprehensive about bringing bugs into the main production facility. You don't want them to get everywhere. Right. With, uh, spent a lot of time trying to keep our beers clean. Last thing we want is for uh, something to get loose. So having this facility over here is allowing us to be able to play around quite a bit more. A, a lot of people, that just your average craft beer drinker, don't realize that you know, Brettomyces and Lactobacillus and stuff. Yep. They kind of have a mind of their own, and they can. Yep, they do. And, and you you, uh -huh. you would understand yeah. that. Now, having... if you're yeah, if you're cleaning properly and you're sanitizing properly, shouldn't be that big of an issue. But you know, it's 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 not worth the risk for us to do right. do a lot of that over at the uh, the main production facility. Five years now in production. Mm -hmm. Yep. And how many years in planning prior to that? Uh, we planned for roughly two years. Okay. Prior to, uh, prior to opening, um, you know, we made the decision. It took about six months to make the decision to actually open up the brewery with uh, Colin and Laura. Um, you know, it's kind of it's kind of like the dating and engagement process <laughs> before actually getting married. Right. And so uh, once we decided, uh, started working on a business plan, uh, got that done within about six months or so, maybe a year, uh, and then started working on fundraising. Just took another six months, and then a six-month build-out, and then we were able to open. So. so in that time, what was the worst day ever at Bent Paddle Brewing? Before opening? Any or time. just any time. In that seven-year uh, stretch, what was the worst day ever? So I'd have to say it was probably about two years, year and a half in. We'd been up in about a year and a half. We were going through an unbelievably long cold snap in Duluth. Uh, so it had gotten down to 35 to 38 below zero, about Holy. four or five nights in a row. Holy cow. And uh, that happened to fall over a weekend. And, you know, we were brewing on a pretty regular basis at that point in time. We didn't have a lot of employees yet, but... We were brewing on a pretty regular basis, and I was on weekend duty, checking gravities and this and that, and uh, everything was fine on Sunday, checking the boiler, everything was great. Came in Monday morning to uh, mash in, and we didn't have any steam, and so I went in, checked the uh, boiler room, and a, uh, a combustion air damper had frozen open, and we had frozen our boiler, completely solid. <laughs> so that was, the, that. I think up to this day, it's still the worst day I've, I've had here at Ben Paddle. Folks, these are so, problems you're not going to have in Texas. <laughs> definitely not. No, the, uh, the challenges of uh, brewing in a northern climate. So, yeah. But, you know, after, after six or seven days of uh, thawing everything out, taking the boiler apart, inspecting everything, getting it back all together, and uh, firing it up, uh, we were able to uh, get back up and running, which it's a good thing it was January because it was not that busy. So <laughs> that's the saving grace. You were back in production within a week, a yep, little over six a week. days. Six yep. days. Mm -hmm. That that that. Yeah. That's and <laughs> I learned more about boilers than I ever could have imagined. So you know, I was there hand in hand with the uh, different techs that we had in working on the boiler and uh, rebuilding everything and inspecting everything. So it was it was an interesting experience. <laughs> so what's the best day that Bent Paddle Brewing has ever had? You know, still to this day, I mean, there there are two days that really stand out. Uh, first day was the day we opened up the doors. To actually see people coming in for the first time and enjoying our beer, that was you know, which is always the biggest connection I've had to the brewing industry is you know not only loving what I do as a brewer, um, but just seeing people enjoy the product and getting instant feedback from people coming in and enjoying it. That's still the best day. The second best day I think was probably the day that we opened up our new tap room as well, you know, which also happened to coincide 
with the ending of extraordinarily long projects. <laughs> so it's kind of, you know, yeah. back and forth on that. So, And the tap room down there, it looks astonishing. I Thank mean, you. it really looks nice. And uh, I don't have anything to compare it with from your previous tap yeah. room because I never visited. But so yeah. later on we can go over and you can see what oh. our uh, former tap room is. Okay, was. So great. It's still there. You've been in this industry, not just Bent Paddle, but how many years have you been involved in craft beer? Uh, started, I believe, in the early of the year 2000, so 18 plus years. So you're an old veteran, so there's probably not too many things that are going to surprise you, but what would you say is something about the industry, maybe a direction that it's gone in or something, a left turn that somebody it's made? What's the biggest thing that surprised you in the last 18 years about the industry? Um... You know, I always knew that there was going to be explosive growth. Um, I didn't expect the continued explosive explosive growth of the craft beer industry, especially in the last three to four years. Um, you know, especially in the state of Minnesota. When we opened, there were 38 breweries, I believe, in the state of Minnesota. And as of right now, I think there are 165. And so uh, it's been a, a absolute explosive growth of uh, breweries, you know, specifically within Minnesota, but across the, the country. I, I knew that there would be growth, but I didn't think it would be that fast. So that's kind of the, the biggest surprise. Uh, second surprise is hazy IPAs. That's another thing that I, I didn't expect to happen, but hey, you got to roll with it. So it's, yep, it's. <laughs> I remember um, first time I drank yeah. one, and, uh-huh. and uh, the guy that served it to me described it as juicy. Yep, juicy, definitely. <laughs> Which they are, and it's you know it, it, it's a good way of describing them. And, yeah. Uh, you know, there's a different type of beer for everybody, and people like juicy IPAs. So it's it's just it. it's got a more viscous mouth feel. Yep. It's not a, quite a nitro. Mm-hmm. It's somewhere between a straight carbonated beer and a, a nitro beer. It's somewhere in the middle. It's got a yeah. 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 The first time you drink one, it's like you're like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but then you know, I, I can you know the, the the longer longer I'm exposed to them, the more I drink them and you know try them out because I'm not. I'm not a person to slam any style of beer. You know, right. There's a different style of beer out there for everybody, right. and so I always try to try to experience them and uh, try to you know try to see what people like about them. And you know, the more I drink them, the more I you know have some that I actually enjoy. So it's uh, it's that that surprised me. Mm-hmm. Why do you think IPAs have become the most popular of craft beers? Because they're good. <laughs> Since the moment I had an IPA, I loved it. You know, I was never really a, a huge beer drinker before I was exposed to craft beer. Um, you know, I kind of dabbled, dabbled a little bit here or there back in the late 90s. Being exposed to craft beer, you know, back in college, uh, Summit was a, was a big one that right. I started. Summit Pale Ale, Summit IPA, uh, even Lake Superior Brewing Company, which is still around here. Uh, their special ale, uh, Fickers Brewhouse, had a, had a good amount of good amount of beers that I kind of cut my teeth on. Um, the IPAs, for some reason, just really, really got me. I, uh, they, they had flavor, they had depth, and uh, something about the aromatics that really, really turned me on. So, right. Yeah, you can get up to seventy IBUs, and you can have a good malt backbone, and it doesn't per- it, perception uh, wise, it balances out. And that's absolutely one of the things that we always try to do with our beers is we try to balance everything out. You know, even if you have a hundred IBU double IPA, you know, it should still be balanced, you know, properly with right. uh, with a good malt backbone and yeast presence and, and this and that. So that's something that we try to do and. But there's a time and a place for every beer, right. you know. It's well, a, I, I and love Eisner's, and I love Belgian ales, and I, there's a lot that I like. So I, there's none that I don't like. <laughs> I just like some more than others. Yep. But what I find the people that say, "Oh, I hate IPAs," they drinker. just haven't had enough IPAs. They haven't, or they haven't had <laughs> the right, the right one. one. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and the transition in IPAs, you know, specifically in the you know the late 2000s through 
going from them being predominantly really bitter to kind of transitioning to more mm -hmm. of a, uh, a flavor and aromatic side. Right. IPAs, I think, really helped push that style forward a lot. It was no longer just the bitterness that uh, people were talking about. It was, you know, a huge amount of flavor, a huge amount of aroma without it being overly, you know, overpowering, I guess, on the, on the palate when it comes to bitterness. What do you foresee as challenges coming down the industry? Uh, you know, a couple challenges. Um, you know, first of all, you know, top-down pressure from the, the big guys, you know, as they get more involved in the craft, you know, the crafty market, mm -hmm. if you will. Um, you know, that's definitely, they've been, they've been at this game for a long time, and so they've got a couple tricks up their sleeves that they're going to they're gonna try to, you know, tamp us down with. Um, also, just saturation as well. You know, there are a lot of, lot of breweries out there, and uh, competition's increasing, but as competition increases, it makes us all better. So, you know, there's a, there's a positive positive to that as well. Do you think we've reached a plateau? You know, I, I don't know if we've reached a plateau. I mean, it's, you know, we're definitely not having the explosive growth that we, that we used to have. Mm -hmm. And I don't see that returning, you know, anytime soon. But, you know, we're a lot more mature market than we used to be. And competition's increasing. And, you know, it'll be slower, more sustained growth, I think. You know, there's still, we're, we're still a small percentage of the market overall. When right. it comes to uh, volume and uh, and dollars, and so there's a lot of a lot of growth potential out there. It's just going to be slow coming. We've kind of we've grabbed the low hanging fruit, and now sure. it's time to really get to work and, and try to push our craft forward. So, what new and exciting can we expect out of Bent Paddle Brewing? We we are going to be dabbling around in some sour beers moving forward. Um, you know, we've been playing around in the pilot system quite a bit with uh, with some of those. Yeah, I'll just say you know an increased in barrel age stuff, an increased in uh, you know an actual release of a sour beer. Mm -hmm. will, will be happening eventually. I'm not going to okay. say when. And, you know, playing around with, uh, with some bugs in the basement. It's going to be, it's gonna be a fun, fun side of things. So. I always like to end these interviews with a lightning round. Five questions. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm a sip of beer here. <laughs> how's, your, how's your geography? <laughs> uh, well, it used to be better, but we'll see. <laughs> Famous lakes, okay? Mm -hmm. All right, number one. Veronica Lake or Emerson Lake in Palmer? Not a clue. <laughs> Failed at number one. All okay, right. Here we go. Uh, number two, Great Slave Lake or Loch Ness? Ooh, Great Slave Lake. There we go. Yeah. Number Loch Ness isn't actually a lake. It's, not, it's a river. <laughs> it's a river. It is a river. <laughs> number three, the Dead Sea or the Caspian Sea? Neither of which is actually, actually a sea. sea. <laughs> um, I would say the Dead Sea. Okay. Number four, Lake Springfield or Lake Wobegon? Ooh, Lake Springfield. Okay, from The Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and last but not... I even live in Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, yeah, come yeah. On, yeah. What the heck? And number five, number five, Lake Titicaca or Moose Look Me Guntic Lake? Lake Titicaca. Okay. I like floating reeds. Yes, there we are. <laughs> floating reeds. And that, Brian Donis, is the interview in the lightning round you, you passed so with Flying Colors. Outstanding. And we want to thank you and tell everybody, tell Laura and Karen and Colin, mm -hmm. I said uh, hi, and the next time I'm through, I'm always going to stop by. Thanks Perfect. so much. Thank you so much. And we appreciate, appreciate you. It. And that's right. it, folks. Thank you. Talk to you next time. Thanks again to Brian and also to Karen, Laura, and Colin. I hope that I get to meet you guys the next time I'm up. Bent Paddle is a great destination brewery, and if you want to get away from the heat of summer, head up that way. And even if you want to get away from the heat of the winter, head up that way. Just dress appropriately and you'll be great. 
Lots going on in Duluth and beer, and Bent Paddle is always a part of that scene. Coming up this month on the 28th of July, it's the All Pints North Beer Festival, of which Bent Paddle is going to be a big part of that scene. We'll have a link in the show notes for information on that event. Bent Paddle Brewing's state-of-the-art taproom is located at 1832 West Michigan Avenue in downtown Duluth. They are open Tuesday through Saturday at noon and closed on Mondays. To learn more about Bent Paddle, find them on Facebook or check out their website, bentpaddlebrewing.com. Hey, ha, da 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 ya, ha, hey! Cardi on scale What's the rumpus? Now it's time for What's the Rumpus with Tony. What's going on in the world of craft brewing? Hey, Tony, how you doing, man? Doing well. How are you, Alan? I'm great. I'm in Chicago. Um, nice. Staying with my friends up here, Brooks and Michelle. And Brooks, of course, he's, he's in the other room watching the Cubs right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, you know, he he was born and raised with it. He can't help it. So. No, I, I hear that. And besides, our, 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 their season's been going for a while. Ours just started today. Yeah, no kidding. I, I look, it's... I. I've been watching. The Cubs are just, they're good. I mean, they've got a solid team, and they're all coming together now. While, meantime, in St. Louis, the wheels have come off the cart. Completely. (laughs) So, anyway. Oh, well, it's enough on that. (laughs) How you been? Doing well, doing well. Can't can't complain. You going anywhere special this week? Uh, this week, no. I'm, I got a rare week home. I got back from Nashville last week. I got back uh, Friday afternoon from from uh, checking out East uh, East Nashville for work. Uh, it was good. It was a good time. Yeah, great. I just finished up my road trip up to went to Kansas City, Omaha, Des Moines, Decorah, Iowa, New Glarus, Wisconsin. And now I'm here and trying to work a couple of things out for tomorrow, or the next day before I head back nice. home. Nice. So. Des Moines is an unheralded beer town. Like my wife's family uh, is from Des Moines, and we go up there like once every two or three months. And there's always good beer there. You went to Exile? Yeah, I went to Exile. Man, they got great beer. Yeah, fantastic really beer. Yeah. You know what they've been doing? They they're doing a collab with uh, Four Hands up there. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, hey man. Speaking of independent craft beers, what do you got going on this week with for us? Well, it was interesting. When I was in Nashville, I went down to the uh, the hotel bar, uh, which is just offside of this bed and breakfast I was staying in, and it was more of a whiskey bar. But they had a few craft beers, and, and like like yourself, like anybody who's probably listening to this, everywhere I go, I try to sample something local, and I ask for it. Uh, I just bellied up to the bar and, and kind of just asked for what was local, not kind of just asking for styles and whatnot. And uh, she, uh, the bartender gave me this uh, this bearded Irish home style IPA. She said, and usually I don't go in for IPAs, but I, you know, when in Rome and it was hot hot as hell so i uh i ordered the ipa and she did something that it drove me nuts that it happens every time but it's my fault because i didn't stop her and i didn't ask her to but she poured it into the glass and she threw away the can and i don't know if i'm the only person that likes to do this but i want to read especially when i'm drinking by myself i want to read the can like Absolutely. i want to I see the can i want to see what's there because you know it's you know again i should have stopped her i should have asked for it um and she she ended up pulling out a new one for me to read and then i ended up drinking that one too um, but, uh, you know, you can see the tasting notes, you can see the ABV, which is important if you're going to pace yourself, uh, maybe a cool story about the inception or the name. And, and most important to me, you get to see where it's brewed because, right. you know, sometimes when you ask for something local, they'll say, oh, this is, 
you know, like they offered me a Memphis beer. I'm like, well, that's kind of, I mean, that's Tennessee and it's something I can't get in St. Louis, but you know, it's not, I want something from Nashville cause I'm in Nashville. Um, and over the last year, you start looking at these cans going around the country and you start to see this seal, that upside down bottle. Have you noticed it? Yeah. yeah that says certified independent craft. Right. Well, I, I, you know, I noticed it on, on a couple cans I saw last week and I, I wanted to look more into it because I hadn't really read much about it. But, you know, uh, and we've talked about it before, but so, so many of these quote, craft unquote beers uh, aren't necessarily craft. You know, like uh, you, you order like a ballast point from San Diego to make the great grapefruit sculpin uh they're owned by constellation brands uh lagunitas who makes great beer is is, is owned by by heineken mm-hmm. um and of course uh ab InBev, you know just by themselves own like at least 10 to 12 brands that you know before like a couple years ago were independently craft brewery like uh, goose island up there in chicago uh and elysian out of seattle you see that all over the place um and, and it's interesting because, like, and this is data that's been out there, but, like, more than, like, 98 to 99 percent of, of all beer producers are independent, but that 98, 99 percent produces less than 13 percent of the volume of beer sold in the country. It's just right. that big boys are that big. Um, and so kind of to c- combat this, the, the Brewers Association, the, the American Trade Group uh, of more than 7,200 7, brewers launched this, uh, this seal in, in June 2017, so it's been a little over a year now. And it's like I said, it's an upside down beer bottle. And the reason for that is to symbolize how craft the craft beer movement has kind of turned the beer industry on its head. Right. Um, and so far, uh, you know, basically the 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 the, the, uh, the criteria for getting this seal is uh, the, the three things of, of independent craft brewing. They say it's being small, independent and traditional. Um, small meaning annual production of six million barrels of beer or less. Um, and that's, you know, approximately like 3% of the U.S. annual sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, the beer production is attributed to a brewer according to the rules of alternating proprietorships, whatever that legalese means. Uh, it means to be independent, which is less than 25% of the craft brewery uh, is owned or controlled uh, by a beverage or alcohol industry member, which is not itself a craft brewer. So, like, that, that eliminates, you know, the partial owners of the, of the bigger boys. Uh, and it has to be traditional, and that's a brewer that has a majority of its total alcohol volume in beers uh, whose flavors derive from traditional or innovative brewing ingredients in their fermentation. You know, like, so basically like your malt beverages wouldn't be included. Right. And so you meet all those things. Plus you have to get a notice from the tax and trade bureau and sign a licensing agreement with the, uh, the, the association and you get, you get to feature the seal, which comes free of charge. Um, and the hope is obviously that, that it makes beer drinkers like me happy to kind of like see that seal of approval. It's a kind of a one-stop shop to, to make sure you're getting something craft uh and it also helps small brewers compete with the big guys for that precious shelf space which is what they're hurting um and there have been some studies out there some independent studies uh by nielsen um that that show that independent and independently owned just using those terms um were important to about 81 percent of craft beer drinkers and that roughly a third of craft beer buyers prefer beer that's not mass produced right. so uh so that, that, that's a big deal to them but there are there are some there, as with anything there's a little bit of, you know there's there's some complications with it because not all uh, breweries that aren't big beer kind of qualify. Um, you talk about some midsize operations that don't make the cut, like Founders, for instance, which makes a great uh, breakfast stout and makes a lot of great beers um, that I would consider craft, you know. But it's thirty percent owned by uh, you know a large Spanish-based brewery, and right. so it, therefore it does not make that cut. It's not considered craft beer by the association. Um, how about our friends? What what did you find out about our friends at Boulevard? 
Um, well, that, that yeah, that's interesting because uh, mm-hmm. because they are they're owned by other small breweries like uh, like like they're owned by Duvel uh, Mortgott, right? Right. Uh, just like Firestone Walker and o- Omegon, and you started uh, from Firestone Walker's kind of hit hit the scene here in St. Louis quite a bit. I've seen much more of it here, and uh, it, yeah, but basically they're considered craft and they're eligible to use the seal, but they but they are owned by other small brewers. Um, but like other other breweries that rely on private equity, like Cigar City out of out of Tampa, Oscar Blues from Colorado, they receive investment from private equity groups, uh, and they're eligible to use the seal. But okay. but places like Founders aren't, so it's it's, yeah. it's kind it's of kinda, you have that, to kind of negotiate it. That is kind of strange. I mean, I know that you know this is a big point of contention right now in the uh, craft beer consuming community, but you know. Um, some of these places are still, even though they've been bought out by the big boys, they're still using traditional methods to make their beer. Yeah, absolutely. No, and, that, and that's that what that's what it comes down to. Uh, you know, it's and, and and a lot of craft beers are choosing not not to use the seal. Uh, and and part of it's the same thing. If you've worked to kind of establish your reputation, establish your brand, you don't really have to prove yourself, and your customers know. Right. Um. And you know that's the same thing with like Lining Google. Like, I love a good Lining Google. Like it. it you know, you, you want to assume, you know, you want to think that maybe the taste has changed because of the, of the mass production. Being, right. But, I mean, I, I haven't noticed it. I mean, my, my palate's not that sophisticated. Um, so, so well, it really comes down here, to, yeah. the thing about, you know, the thing about Leinenkugel, you know, it's still the Jacob Leinenkugel and the family members, they're still involved in the day-to-day process. They've kept the Chippewa Falls Brewery open and operating. They still have. Mm-hmm. They're using the same methods of brewing in that brewery that they've used before, and they're still employing people in Chippewa Falls to make their beer. Right. And so, I mean, that's kind of like, yeah. There are others that I could mention uh, that you know they buy out the name, and then the next thing they do is they shut down the brewery, and right. they and they manufacture their the they call it. Uh, they call it the same name, and they're brewing it out of uh, their big breweries that are located. How many locations across the country? And so, right. I think I think there has to be a different type of way of looking at this, really. Sure. Well, and that's the thing. And I think with the bottom line, what it comes down to is you got to trust your taste buds. I mean, if if it's what you like, uh, if if you just, if it doesn't matter to you, and, and you just want to drink something that tastes good. I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to for a lot of craft beer. It's that you don't, you still don't want to drink sunshine. You want to drink good beer, and that's that's why you know. That's, I was. I thought I would almost get through an entire episode without bleeping something. Diet I'm sorry. I'm, 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 gonna, I'm gonna blame the, the the Dr. Robot Blackberry Lemon Sour. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, but you know, you trust your taste buds. And the other thing is, if it, if it does matter to you, like you or me. Um, you know, for lack of a better metaphor, read the can. Like, right. it, it, the, the answer is the same as anything in this Wild West, this time of, you know, rampant misinformation and, quote, quote <laughs> fake, fake news. <laughs> exactly. Uh, down, Ollie. Down. Ollie, Ollie knows what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, Ollie. upset. Okay. Do, just do your own research. I mean, it's out there. Look it up. Like, I mean, there's enough on the can to get you started. Pull, pull out your phone if you're, if you're there. Wait till you get home. And just just look up the story of your beer. I mean, it's it's yep. that simple. Like, don't you don't have to look for the seal. You don't have to look for it. And if it tastes good to you, and if and if it matters where it comes from, you can find that story yourself. And just, right. Just do your own research. Right. And there's so much beer out there. That's the other right. thing. Like, if you, if you lose your way and you stop caring about quality, there are plenty of other ways you're going to go out of business. Like, 
there's there's plenty of competition. Like if, oh, yeah. if my if my IPA starts tasting bad, there are plenty of others to choose from. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we were just Brooks and I were just talking last night about a brew that we used to drink and we used to respect, and I'm not going to name it, but uh, it's now uh, it's not really a craft beer anymore. It's kind of like it's a crafty beer. That's what they're calling them, and it doesn't taste the same as it did when he and I started drinking it back in the uh, '90s. It just doesn't, and that's because it has been changed, and there's no getting around that. Or it's because we're getting old. And <laughs> no. I've been old a long time, Tony. <laughs> All right, Tony Rehagen, freelance journalist. Thanks, buddy. Uh, you yeah. enjoy your week, and I'll talk to you next weekend. Sounds good. Take care now. You too now. Bye bye. been listening to the brews traveler follow us on facebook twitter and instagram or check out our blog on website thebrewstraveler.com cheers well that's it folks thanks again for listening please follow us on facebook and instagram at the brews traveler podcast and on twitter at the brews trav lr you can check out our show notes over on www.thebrewstraveler.com. I'm still working on the blog, getting it caught up, but sooner or later, I'll get it done. If you're enjoying the podcast, please go over to iTunes and give us a hug with a five-star rating and a glowing review. It would be most appreciated. The soundtrack for The Brews Traveler is provided by Gaelic Storm. You can find all of their music on iTunes or at their website, gaelicstorm.com. While there, check out their new album, Go Climb a Tree, and their tour schedule to see when they will be coming to a venue near you. Marketing consultation is provided by Mission Digital Marketing. I'm back home to the scenic capital above the Missouri River later this week, so if I don't see you at your favorite tap room or pub, I'll see you right here on the podcast. Remember, drink locally, think globally, take care of each other, and take care of the earth. It's everything we've got. And as always, merrily, you are the measure of my dreams. Thanks again, everyone, and saying so long from Chicago. I'll see you in just a while. Cross the waters, thousands at a time. All we owned was in our hands. Holding tight to faith in something we could find In this strange and distant land Took one last look behind Open hearts and open minds And these colors that we held so dear before We blended them together on these foreign shores Ready for the brawl We were driven by desire No way back We were prepared to risk it all We'd been tempered by the fire 
tails. Child, every man, her song has just begun. We fall together if together we don't stand. We are many, we are one. Not everyone will live to see what we dream this world to be. Fascism comes to America, it will be wrapped in the flag and carrying a cross. Sinclair Lewis, Nobel laureate, American novelist and playwright, longtime resident of Duluth, Minnesota. Born February 7, 1885, Sauk Center, Minnesota. Died January 10, 1951, Rome, Italy.